Hey everybody, welcome to the NFL Roadshow. 15 games into week four with one to go tonight. Raiders looking to stay atop the AFC as the lone undefeated squad in that conference while the Cardinals enjoy the only undefeated record on the NFC side. That win against the Rams, so impressive yesterday. Just dominant from start to finish. In fact, it was so lopsided that it wasn't as entertaining as I thought it would be. I was really looking forward to the games in the afternoon window, but they never really turned into the games that I was expecting them to be. Seattle, San Francisco, close, but not particularly good football. I think there were a few games that fell into that category yesterday, including both of the overtime games, frankly, games that I didn't necessarily feel like I needed to see more of, if you know what I mean. Uh, That Browns-Vikings game, 50-plus expected points, turning in a 21-point total instead. And while the Eagles did very well against the Chiefs defense, never really felt like they were going to win that game. So maybe it's me, but not my favorite week of the season so far. Still lots to talk about after it though, starting with that game in Foxborough, the most anticipated of all time. Had that Adele song in my head all night long. Very entertained by all the personal umbrella holders in the NBC broadcast. Also entertained with the game as a whole. So much so, in fact, that my daughter stayed up way later than she should have because I didn't want to miss anything while putting her to bed. So I didn't put her to bed. Um, I forgot for a moment, apparently, that there's this thing called a pause button. Finally had to use it before the last drive because she was melting down. Then, after I put her to bed, I came back to the TV. The game's obviously over by this time. I'm not checking my phone, so I don't know the result. Force of habit, pick up the remote, turn the TV off instead of hitting the button to unpause it. I mean, there was a moment there, my TV goes black, and I'm like, no, stopped my heart. Like, what did I just do? Now I'm going to have to pick the TV up in real time. The game's over. I'm going to miss the ending. But it didn't reset. Thank God. For whatever reason, I turned it back on. It was still paused where it was. So I got to watch poor Nick Folk doink it off the goalpost. Got to see the receiving line that took place after the game. Tom Brady's extremely likable interview with Michelle Tafoya afterward. Look, I talk a lot about wanting him to go away because of the repetitive nature of having to talk about him and his greatness the way that we do year after year after year. I also wish that he would be a little bit more gracious with quarterbacks who beat him as far as handshakes on the field go, but he's obviously a good guy who is also a good teammate and deserves everything he's accomplished. And we've got someone on the show today who can attest to all of that. Ross Tucker, who played with Brady in New England for a couple of years, also spent time in Washington, Buffalo, and Dallas. Now he has a very successful podcast network with a number of different podcasts on it, including the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. I'm excited to talk some ball with him. So let's go ahead and break the huddle. Oh yeah, let's go! Two on, two on, two. Ready? Ready? Ross, good to see you. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, likewise, Lindy. Thank you so much for having me. I've been seeing the uh, the NFL road show. I've been seeing it on social <laughs> media. And I, I think while I was on the road on Friday driving up to do a college game, I heard a great promo for this show. Yay! So I love it. You're everywhere. <laughs> we will find you out there and make <laughs> you listen to us. Um, yeah, well, I'm, you know, it's 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 a tough game now because everyone has a podcast. Uh you you who uh, have the Rust Talker podcast, um, you've been doing this for a long time. I'm, I'm jealous, able to build up that audience like back in the day when you know there were fewer. It's so funny because um, 
you know, I've got five of them, the fantasy feast, cool. even money. And then I do the Ross Tucker football podcast every day, but it, it's honestly dumb luck. I retired in 08, started writing for sports illustrated ESPN said they would pay me more money to write for them. I was like, cool. Um, yeah. let's do it. Money's and good. They said, do you want to host our podcast? And I was like, absolutely. I would love to host your podcast. Literally had never even heard of a podcast. What is that? <laughs> it was like, two, I, 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 didn't, I didn't even have an iPhone. It was like 2009, 2010. I just knew that ESPN was going to pay me pretty decent to talk football every day from my house. I was like, I could use the same equipment I had for Sirius XM. I was like, perfect. Let's do it. Um, so I did that for three years. And then uh, we started to get advertisers, which was great. And the advertising agencies were like, man, Ross, your, your guys show after Colin Coward, you guys get like the second best result for us. I was like, oh, really? That's interesting. And then you shouldn't have told me that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then they told the price me of that uh, spot just went up. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's funny because then they told me like what the rates were. I was like, what? I thought, well, I know what they're paying me and I know what they're paying the other guy and the producer. So um, I think uh, 2012, maybe after three years there. So literally this is funny. And this actually ties into, I'm going to tie a Tom Brady story into this. Are you oh, ready? I love this. Yes. Okay. So it probably was 2011 or 2012, my second or third year doing the ESPN podcast. And so back then, it was the only mechanism for any international fans to follow the NFL. Like they don't have sports talk radio. They don't right. have like anything over this. So there was a huge international audience and a growing national audience, right? So Neil Reynolds, who does a lot of stuff for Sky Sports over in the UK, he knew I was coming over to broadcast the Rams and Patriots from London, from uh, Wembley. Okay. And he said, hey, we have this like big kickoff thing. Do you want to emcee it with me? I was like, all right, tell me more about it. And he's like, well, it's Trafalgar Square. And last year we got 40,000 people. I was like, 40,000 people. And he said, uh, he said it was, it's like the equivalent, I guess, of London's Times Square. And he's like, you know, I listen to you. You know, I think you'd be great if you help me, you know, co-host. I was like, done, let's do it. So what's crazy about it is, so first of all, I'm like on this stage in Trafalgar Square. There's like 30,000 people out there. I'm like, this is like, it's the coolest I've probably ever felt. Totally. <laughs> so then the two things that are really interesting about it. Number one, our first sponsor, on, it's called the Football Today podcast, ESPN Football Today podcast. Our first sponsor was State Farm. And I just couldn't believe we actually had a, had a sponsor. And I was like, do we get extra money? Like every time we say State Farm, like, how does this work? Whoa. Yeah, we didn't. Oh, okay. I was like, if this is going in that direction, I'm going to start saying so many things. <laughs> no, we didn't. But I made a joke of it. And so like, I would be like in the middle of a sentence and I'd be like, and that's why Justin Fields had a good day. State Farm, State Farm, State Farm, State Farm, State Farm, State Farm. You know, just kind of like every once in a while, I would just throw it out there. Yep. So I'm on stage at Trafalgar Square, right? There's at least 20 people in the, in the audience that have huge State Farm signs. What? Huge. And Lindsay, 
There is no State Farm in the UK. Doesn't exist. They don't even like, know what it is. They They're don't just even. They in just. On the joke. They. That was like their way in a huge crowd. That was their way of being like, "Hey, dude, like I'm a fan. Like I listen." That was their way of being like telling me they like me and they like the show by holding a huge State Farm State Farm. It was a. My wife was like, "Are they that in the State Farm?" I'm like, "No, that's kind of like my funny thing." So that's number one. Just really big fans of insurance. Yeah, huge insurance fans <laughs> over there in the UK. Huge. State Farm, State Farm. All right. So here's the next thing. I think this must have been Gronk's second year. So whatever that was, I think it was Gronk's second year, maybe third. So the Rams come and we interview Jeff Fisher and whoever their quarterback, I can't remember, but they bring like, we interview like seven or eight guys. And then the Patriots come later. And this is the way Brady is. Like, this is how much. And by the way, the Rams stunk. Okay. They were not good. This is the old Rams. The same yeah. And Rams. this is the yes. year the Patriots either went to the Super Bowl and lost, or maybe the year after. The Patriots get there. It's Mr. Kraft. It's Belichick. It's Gronk. It's can't remember who else. Slater, maybe. Definitely uh, Tom. And, and Tom's like, Tom come, walks over to me. He's like, he's like, what did, uh, what'd the Rams say? And I was like, I don't know. They just said the normal BS, you know, just excited to be here. Going to play our we best. Love you. Yeah. And he's, he's like, he's like, did they, did they seem ready? Like, did they seem like, oh my this is like literally Lindsay. Okay. That's why we, people are like, well, what's he, what was he like this week? He was just laser focused. He has such an ability. Like he got to this event and we were about to interview him. And all he wanted to know from me, he literally walked over to me and was like, Ross, what did the Rams say? Like, did they say anything interesting about the game tomorrow? Like, did they say anything about us? Like, what did they look like they're ready to go? Like, he is a total psychopath that was like, all he wanted to know was what the Rams mood was and what the Rams were saying. He he finds a way to get himself so worked up for every single game. Like that's his greatest skill is like he just every game, that challenge of winning that game is everything to him. But that's also the same day when uh, Gronkowski, I'm interviewing, he's got the microphone and the crowd starts chanting, spike the mic, spike the mic. But and literally, he took a live microphone. Yes, of course he did. And spiked it like he went like this. He was like, like playing it up. And I thought he was actually joking and wasn't going to actually do it. No, Lindsay, he spiked it as hard as he could. <laughs> and Mr. Kraft and Belichick looked at him like, "What a moron this guy is!" <laughs> like, you don't just spike. A live microphone. Now, for some reason, it didn't like shatter in pieces. I don't know why not. Maybe it was like stage was like soft or something. But I just remember thinking, this guy is a total moron meathead. <laughs> I love him. <laughs> Who spikes a microphone as hard as they can? Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. And the 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 audio person who has to take the microphone home it, it isn't even, like, mad about it. He's, like, got it framed somewhere in his house. Like, this is the mic. Or he's just 
a football fan in London who doesn't. Yeah, so you got so you got Brady who's like totally dialed in for the game and totally locked in, and, and Gronkowski spiking. just spiking microphones. I mean, it was just, um, it was it was fun. And then the next day they killed the Rams, and when Gronkowski sort of touchdown, he did like the. Uh, he walked like the guards outside, you know, the guards yep. that do that walk. I don't even know I what they're called. That. Yep. Uh, but he he did that. That was like his touchdown celebration. It was kind of awesome, actually. So Brady uh, last night, this whole thing, having played, you obviously played for the Patriots in 0506. So you've played for Belichick and you have played with Brady. What was your investment level? watching this game. Did you feel like you wanted the Patriots to win that one? Did you want Brady to go back and get the dub? Like how were you, you, the fan, you, the person who knows the people, where, where were you leaning? So I love the way you uh, presented that because as you know, since you've been in it, like when you're actually in it, you know, the people. And so you're either rooting for or against certain people. Right, yeah. Like people you like or people you don't like. Um, and I don't have a problem with Belichick. I think he's a terrific coach, but I, I'm team Brady. Yeah. And the thing that's crazy about Brady is you will never find a single person that I'm aware of, certainly a teammate or coach, somebody that knows him, to say anything bad about him. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Like, I, you know, Greg Jennings and Jermichael Finley and certain guys say stuff bad about Aaron Rodgers all the time. Uh, you can easily get Steelers guys to say bad stuff about Big Ben. Like there's a bunch of it, it's hard to be liked by everybody. It, it's not easy, especially when you have to be that crazy and laser focused. And like, you know, the way you approach your job when you take it very, very seriously can sometimes be off putting to the people around you. But for Brady, it's not. Yeah, it's uh, I've never heard anybody say a bad word about the guy. I could tell three or four stories of just why he's so awesome, Um, but everybody loves him. And, you know, I I guess. I'm a I'm a player guy, not a coach guy. Right. So from my standpoint, they both are a big reason for all the success in New England, clearly. I believe that Brady deserves a bigger slice of that of that credit pie, so to speak. A, because he's the guy on the field, but B, like, let's talk sample sizes. I mean, Brady has one year without him and he won the Super Bowl. I think Belichick has maybe nine years now, or at least eight, where Brady was not his starting quarterback and he's made the playoffs one time. I, I kind of throw out the beginning of his career, though. Like Pete Carroll, beginning of his career, you know, with the Jets and the Patriots, not so good. Kind of figured it out. Like it took it took a minute, you know. And sometimes coaches get a minute, and players don't. Yeah, yeah, we'll see that though because, you know, they didn't make the playoffs last year. It's they're probably not going to happen for them this year. Uh, I do like Mac Jones a lot, and I yeah. do think the Patriots are going to get better. I guess I don't know how long Belichick's going to coach, see if he can turn it around. But anyway, the point is, you know, and in fairness to Belichick, he's not like the most likable guy. He was fine to me, but he's like 100% negative reinforcement. Like the, the morning meeting is showing the five worst plays from the game the day before or the practice the day before. So he just, it's not like a positive environment. Whereas Brady's like, 
just the awesomest, coolest guy ever. And I, I like I like seeing him have success. I root for him. Did you think at all? Because oh, I thought going in that the Patriots might actually have an advantage with a roster that clearly was not as talented as the Bucks. in that when Brady dropped back, you know, every single time when he has all the plays at his disposal and he can check into anything he wants to, Belichick has the advantage of knowing where he's likely to go. Right. Whereas I don't know that Brady has that same advantage of anticipating everything that the Patriots are going to do. Am I wrong about that? No, I think you're definitely right. And in particular, because yeah, I don't think Steve Belichick was calling the defense when Brady was there. I think that's just the last couple of years, maybe. Is it very different than what his dad would do? I kind of assume he learned everything from his dad and that their tendencies are probably similar. Well, he did, but it's still like um, still like if you're playing a video game, it's still somebody else has a controller in their hand, you know, and they talk about it a lot. They're the st- or the sticks, as the guys say, somebody else has the sticks in their hand. But um, also, like I thought Collinsworth did a nice job with this last night. They just kept changing up a lot of things because they're very well aware that if Brady knows what you're doing, you're dead. So they kept changing stuff up the whole time. So it's kind of hard for Brady to really get a beat on what they were doing. And I don't think Brady played particularly well, uh, certainly not in the first half. I don't know if he was too excited or it was the wet ball or whatever. Uh, but even in the second half, he seemingly got it done when he had to. Even, you know, it would have been a lot more dramatic if Antonio Brown caught that last touchdown, you know, as opposed to them having to kick the field goal because that was a beautiful ball by Brady. That would have been a, such a dramatic, you know, go-ahead touchdown there. I felt bad for Mac Jones, and yet I felt very happy for him that he played as well as he did because I feel like he's that guy who just got shoved in the middle of this really awkward situation where it's like all eyes on Mac. You better prove that Bill Belichick made the right decision to move on and to move on with you while you take the field against the greatest of all time. Like, go get her done. He's like, I tweeted that he's like that that new boyfriend who's going out to dinner with the girl's parents who loved the ex-boyfriend. And so it's like not his drama, but all of a sudden he has to kind of win them over. And I felt like he rose to the occasion as well as we could have expected under the circumstances. Uh, love the analogy. I've been there a couple of times, actually. <laughs> I remember when uh, my wife's parents uh, were still reeling from her not being with her ex-boyfriend when I first met them. So I love that analogy. And you're right. I, I was thoroughly impressed with Mac Jones. The crazy thing about Mac Jones is, and I know you can't say this like really loudly, but he kind of reminds me of Brady. Like in a lot of ways, he like I can guarantee he's not going to have seven Super Bowls or whatever. But right, if you said to me, Ross, like what NFL quarterback does Mac Jones remind you of? It's not Kyler Murray, you know. It's not somebody. It, it's it's kind of Brady. I mean, he kind of reminds me the body type, the way he moves around the pocket. It's it's kind of bizarre that the Patriots were able to get him. You know, they had the one year of Cam in between. But I think there's a pretty good chance that Mac Jones is their quarterback for a long time. And I thought it spoke very well of him that he played as well as he did. What about the other young quarterbacks? What are you seeing with Justin Fields? So the first week of him as a starter was just a disaster, top to bottom. I blamed a lot of that on Matt Nagy. I don't know if you agree with that. 
Um, it seemed pretty obvious to me that Bill Lazor was calling the plays yesterday because it was just so, a totally different way of approaching the game offensively, though Matt Nagy wouldn't exactly admit it afterward, like wouldn't come out and say that Laser had taken over play calling. Justin Fields looked a lot better. What do you make of him as a talent in that offense, the way it's currently constructed? Yeah, so a couple of things. Number one, and I talked about this t- today on the Ross Tucker podcast, what a difference a week makes for the rookie quarterbacks. Right. I mean, last week, yes. Zach Wilson was not good. Yep. No points against the Broncos. Fields was horrific. Mac Jones had three picks against the Saints. One week later, all those guys played much better. That's number one. Number two, you know, the one thing, and I know you know this, but the one thing that I will caution people, okay, I know for a fact multiple times where a team says, so-and-so's calling the plays and they're not. Or they say that the head coach gave up the play calling duties. And he doesn't. He really didn't. Really? And I know, I know of a situation where, where the, the head coach wanted people to think he was calling the plays. So before every offensive play, he would hold the, the thing up to his mouth like this. And and blah blah. He wasn't saying no. anything. No. Yes. How does that? N- Somebody else was calling Wait, the plays. Time out. And I want to get back to what we're actually talking about, but that's too good of a sidebar. What? How does that not get out? How are not all of the assistant coaches or people that are standing on the sideline looking at him not talk to anybody but pretend like he's talking to somebody? Not tell somebody who can scream it to the world. Well, so it's a good question. I think number one is, I guess part of me wonders how many of them know. Like, I don't, I didn't know these things till after the fact when I've seen these coaches and I've talked to them and they're like, yeah, you know, when so-and-so, it was really, you know, then they tell me after the fact. Um, But even like, I know recent examples of, you know, a coach gave up play calling or took it over, but they really didn't even change it. They just did that to appease the media. So I think my point about that is I think everything we, I think we get caught up in that. It's a really good talking point. It's a really good thing to discuss, but I also think it's a little bit overrated because ultimately let's say it's laser. Let's say it's naggy. doesn't really matter, right? Like if the bears lose, and aren't playing well, Nagy's gone, whether he's calling plays or not. If the Bears win and Field is playing well, Nagy's going to stay, whether he's calling the play or Lasers or Lasers calling the plays. Ultimately, it doesn't really matter. It's just like when things aren't going well, there's a clamoring from the media and fans for change. So I've seen situations where sometimes the 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 team will just appease the media, but they're not actually changing. And I have no idea what's going on in Chicago or any situation, but I I've seen that happen before. For me, it just matters insofar as like Trubisky, like now we have a larger sample size of Nagy, not using quarterbacks in a specific way who have a specific skill set. It's like, to me, I feel like, he's very married to the idea of what he wants to do from a play calling standpoint and what he thinks a quarterback should operate like 
your strengths and weaknesses be damned. You know what I mean? This is what I'm going to do regardless of whether or not it's the best thing to take advantage of your strengths. So if it's laser calling the plays and then putting Justin Fields in a better position in which to succeed, then that's interesting to me. Your point is valid though. If they win this way and he's the head coach and they continue to have success, then we're not going to revisit it and it doesn't matter. But I almost think that the people in the building might want to revisit that because if you can't hand the play calling back to the head coach because he's too stuck in his ways and not willing to work with this guy that you just drafted to be your franchise quarterback, then I think that's problematic down the road. Yeah, you know what I think is interesting about the rookie quarterback thing? It feels like, I feel like there's almost a formula for a lot of these fan bases. And we saw Trey Lance get a chance to play. And it seems like he'll be playing the next couple of weeks because of Jimmy Garoppolo's calf. But it's like, I think it has something to do with our attention spans, quite frankly. But as soon as you draft, as soon as you draft the quarterback high, the fans are like, play him, play him, play him, play him, play him. Like, I want my new toy. I, I want my shiny new object. I want it to be Christmas. I want to open up my presents. I want to see what we have. Play him, play him, play him. And then as soon as you play him, if it doesn't go well, it's coach is stupid, doesn't know what he's doing. Coach, coach, blame the coach. Bad, bad game plan, bad play calling. But it's like, well, hold on a second. Maybe that's why they didn't think he was ready to play him yet in the first place. You're the one that wanted him to play when the coach was telling you he wasn't ready. Now they played him because you wanted him to, but now you're going to blame the coach because he didn't play well. And then what happens is if if the, if the coaching staff can't get that guy to play well, then it's fire coach, fire coach, fire coach. They'll bring in a new coach in. New coach comes in. If he, he still can't get the guy to play well, it's, okay, give me another new quarterback. Get rid of Give me another new young one. Draft another one. It's like, it's like this vicious cycle. It's hilarious. Do you think that we just got ahead of ourselves in terms of our excitement about the rookie quarterbacks last year, that maybe they were an anomaly? Because I talked to people last year that made me feel like it wasn't an anomaly and that the guys who were coming out now were just more ready to step into NFL offenses and be good for a bunch of different reasons. But that seems less to be the case this year. Yeah, I think it's a fair point. Um, Certainly Burrow and Herbert and the guys last year were impressive. But then you had like Tua, you know, Tua wasn't great last year. So I, I do think... It's still always going to be a mixed bag. I'm shocked that Herbert was that good last year. I was not expecting that at all. Um, I don't know what they were doing in Oregon because I thought he looked better for the Chargers than he did at Oregon. It's crazy, but um, it's a good point. Although, man, Zach Wilson, he looked awesome. Like he made he. I don't know how he just flicks his wrist and gets that much whip on the ball. But he is fun to watch. I'm mad, though, because I have an even money betting podcast and Fields killed me. I had the Lions. Uh, Zach Wilson killed me. I had the Titans like you took the Lions. Yeah. So I I, 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 I usually have a lot of success with uh, teasers, two team teasers. So I te- how about this, Lindsay? I teased the Lions. They were getting two and a half. I teased them up to eight and a half. OK, the first three times they had the ball. It was goal-to-go situations, and they got zero points. Even so, late in the game, they're down 10. 
It's fourth and two. My former teammate, Dan Campbell, is their coach. They need to, they're down 10. They need a field goal and a touchdown. It's like three minutes, four minutes left. He goes for it rather than kicking the field goal. I mean, if he kicks the field goal, my bet wins. And they're only one score down. So it's bad when your former teammates get you. It's real bad. I kind of love that he does that, though. And I'm sorry that you lost money on it. And yeah, but um, I love that that's what he's doing there. It makes me feel like he understands the situation. You know, they're not going to be that team this year. They're going to lose a lot of games. Obviously, winning a game here and there that you have a chance to win would be great and would work wonders in terms of morale and building the culture that you're wanting to build. But I kind of love that, like, there's so many fourth down situations and he's turning to his guys and going, go get it. I believe in you. Like, I think it kind of matches all of the other things that we're seeing from him. And I think that that will pay off later down the road in terms of the buy-in. Well, so first of all, he's an awesome guy. So I'm sure they all love him. Secondly, I do like that he's being very aggressive like that. And I have a couple of buddies that are Lions fans. I've never seen them so happy or optimistic. The team is 0-4. And they're like, I don't care, man. They're, they're fun to watch. And I love this dude. I love the new GM. Like, we're building it the right way finally. Like, uh, you know, it's so interesting. It's like in life, branding, marketing, the message, those things matter. And Campbell, Dan came in hot and, and people loved his message and the team plays aggressively and they've been right there. And it's like, it's, it's almost like they're lovable losers right now. It's unbelievable. But my buddies that, that are Lions fans are as optimistic as they've been about the team in years. I get it. And I think part of it is that the expectation is was low, right? So you you go into the season knowing there's a strong chance you are over. Oh, and 17. I'm adjusting the math now. Um, this has been a hard transition for me. But uh, I think that you understand that you're going to be one of the worst football teams in the NFL. But if you are building toward, if you can steal a win here and there that you shouldn't have won based on the talent that's on your roster, and you put yourself in a position to be better next year and then better the year after that. And I think if you have buy-in, I don't know. I think I, I get, I get where your friends are coming from. Cause I feel that way too about Detroit. I don't feel that way. About it's crazy. Yeah, I, I'm happy for them. Cause they're usually, they're usually like three and five and miserable with the paper like my, bag my over their head. Yeah. yeah. Yep. It's a sad existence. Who else, who else do you believe in, in terms of like what they're building there? Are you in on the giants? Are you in on the jets? I'm not really in on the giants. Unfortunately, I, I just can't believe that they haven't been able to get that offensive line better in the last few years. Painful to you. Although I said this the other day, I kind of like Daniel Jones. Like I don't see any negatives about Daniel Jones. They just don't win the game. Like he just doesn't make the critical play until yesterday to win the game um I do like Salah and the Jets yeah. you know they're another one Jets fans are very encouraged and that was almost before they beat the Titans yesterday their defense flies around and plays well you know they know that their roster the O-line Becton's out they don't have great weapons at the skill guy like they know they're not there yet but I think the combination of they like the head coach they like the quarterback, and they're seeing a defense fly around and make plays and give a lot of effort. 
And I think they're happy about it. I think they're happy that that that's what they're seeing. I got to tell you, though, that Jets Titans game was hard to watch. And when that kick did not go through the uprights and the Jets won the game, I was like, man, if there ever was a game that it felt like someone lost as opposed to someone winning, this was like a game of hot potato. Like which one of us can suck less is how I felt watching that game. I despise ties, like despise them. That one felt like. So, so as a former player, Lindsay, you'll appreciate this, right? I, if I'm watching a high school, college, NFL game, whatever it is, unless I've given out like a pick on the Even Money podcast, I'm like, I always root for the kicker to make it. I always root for the kicker because I don't want that. That guy's going to fly home. Like that guy's probably married with two kids. Like I, I don't want that on his head. I know what it was like. When I thought I cost us a, a game one time when I was playing for the Cowboys, I didn't sleep all night. I, I was 23. I called my parents three times, my girlfriend three times. Like, I didn't sleep all night. I I would, like, watch the news to see if they were saying bad. Like, I know what it's like to Why feel like. Why do we do that? That's such a human thing to be like, oh, what what kind of trash are they talking about me? I need to consume it Yeah, all. how terrible are it they? Was, how much are they blaming me? Did they notice how bad I was? <laughs> yeah, it, it's... uh. It's very difficult when you're that age, especially. So I always root for kickers to make it because I don't want them to have to walk into that locker room after they just let down a hundred people in that locker room. But I despise ties so much because it makes it hard for me to remember what the team's record is the rest of the year. And it's annoying <laughs> so to be true. like, uh, they're two, one and one, I think, <laughs> or they're one. Two. I rooted for him to miss it. I, I wanted Randy Bullock to miss the kick. For for my personal uh, scorekeeping for the rest of the season, I hate ties that much. They annoy me. So I was happy he missed the kick. On the other end of the spectrum, are you surprised that the Cardinals are the lone undefeated at this point? Looking the way that they do? So, uh, well, yes I, wait, and yes. I take, that, I take that back. The I mean, the Raiders and the Chargers still have to play. So, of the teams that played Understood, yesterday. understood. Okay. Yeah, Cleaning that up. Lone undefeated in the NFC. Right. Um, so I am now I'm not surprised that they beat the Rams the way they did. I, I picked them to beat the Rams. So here's the deal. I just could tell the Rams were ready for a letdown. You know, they had just beaten the Bucks at home. Everybody's telling them how great they were. All the Hollywood people, the TV people were at the game, you know, Mike Tyson and I see Sudeikis and all these people. I, I just felt like if the Rams are ever going to have a letdown, this is going to be their letdown game. This is going to be it. And the Cardinals, Kyler Murray, I mean, I, you know, I need to look up Kyler Murray's high school football highlights. I cannot even imagine what playing high school football, like high school football was fun for me. Like I was one of the bigger guys. I would knock people down. Like it was great. But can you imagine what high school football was like for Kyler Murray? Like nobody, they can't even touch him in the NFL. What was it like in high school? From now on, if I get sad, I'm just going <laughs> to watch Kyler Murray's high school highlights and it'll make me feel better. That's amazing. And then when he throws to Rondell Moore, it really does look like you're playing a video game and you've managed to make Kyler Murray two characters. It's a great point. And the thing that's crazy is, I know he's not the fastest guy in NFL history, but you will not convince me that his feet don't move the fastest. You know, speed is like, uh, what do they say? Stride length, 
times stride frequency, okay? So he's not the fastest because I don't know how much ground he's covering. Right. But I am convinced, Lindsay, nobody's feet have ever moved that fast <laughs> as Kyler Murray. Like when his feet, when he starts running, it's <laughs> like it is crazy. But yet his upper body is so calm. He's like the road runner, like where, where the feet just speed up in space in place. It's he is incredible to watch. I think he's probably, uh, you know, we're recording this at least before the Raiders game. I think he's MVP favorite with Derek Carr. And the Cardinals needed this. I mean, there's a reason why they got A.J. Green and J.J. Watt and Rodney Hudson. The GM and head coach know they're on the hot seat. They know they need to produce this year, and they're off to a great start. I'm a little bit surprised that their defense is holding up their end of the bargain the way that they are, particularly against the Rams. Now, you mentioned there might have been other things in play there as far as L.A. is concerned. But I think that the, the Cardinals' defense has been surprisingly better, at least. I would agree. And it's not like it's been J.J. Uh, Watt necessarily dominating. Um, and everybody was concerned about them on the back end. But uh, Chandler Jones is a really good player. Isaiah Simmons has made a huge leap from rookie year last year to this year. Zayvon Collins is a stud. And the secondary, Jalen Thompson was making plays yesterday. We know about Buda Baker. Byron Murphy's made plays every game. You know, they've got guys that have just done a nice job on the back end of making plays that people were skeptical of. What happened with the Browns um, in that game? Just I expected the game to be more high scoring. Their defense is insane, right? Like, it, do you see anything with Baker that played terrible? Yeah. So was it is it just an off game for him? I know some, I, I heard somebody say they think maybe he's hurt. He played awful. I mean, I don't know if something's bothering him, but he missed a bunch of open throws. They are very fortunate that their defense played so well. Yeah. I was stunned. I thought that would be a shootout. The way Kirk Cousins was playing and the Vikings go right down the first drive. They march, they get a touchdown. Like it was like an 80 yard drive to Jefferson. I thought, okay, here, here we go. Nothing. After that, yeah. nothing. Uh, the Browns defense, there's another one where uh, Jeremiah Wusu koromoa the, the rookie. You. Name, I just, call, I just call him JOK because I'm not. Yeah, I there. love that. I, that's such a better way to say it. And it's a cool nickname, JOK. So anyway, he's playing awesome. Um, they, they And they had a bunch of guys out yesterday. Newsom didn't play. Um, Ronnie Harrison didn't play and they still played very, very well, but Baker missed Odell a couple of times. He did not play well. So I always say though, it's a really good sign for a team when you don't play well and you still win or your quarterback has a really bad game and you still win again on the road against a pretty decent team in the Vikings. That's a really good point. So they're three and one. I think that they're a team that's going to be in it till the end. But I was a little bit concerned about the fact that the offense couldn't move the ball and that Baker looked the way that he did. Um, another team that I cannot figure out this year is the Seattle Seahawks. So Seattle, for the first game and a half, I thought they were maybe the best team in the NFL. Uh, just looked so dominant. And then... Uh, it kind of falls apart a little bit for a little while. And then in that game yesterday, their first five drives, they accounted for negative six yards and they won the game 
against a good team. And I can't figure it out. I mean, is it just that they have Russell Wilson who can, you know, make a big play here and there and you're always in it? I don't really know what's going on with them. The first game against the Colts, their defense looked awesome. Hasn't really looked that great since then. I mean, I know they didn't give up that many points to the Niners, but that's because Garoppolo threw a terrible pick. Then he got hurt. Then Trey Lance is another one that just does not look like he's ready to play yet. And it makes sense. He played one year of FCS football, didn't play at all last year. So it would almost be weird if Trey Lance was ready to go. Like if Trey Lance is like killing it in the NFL right now, I'd be like, man, maybe the NFL is not as hard as we thought it was. Um, So that makes sense to me. The Seahawks, every other game, the offense was lights out in the first half and did nothing in the second half. This game, as you referenced, was the exact opposite. I don't have an explanation for it. To be honest with you, they don't either. I mean, if they did, they would have fixed it by now. They did get the running game going with Alex Collins a little bit. Russell had his typical ridiculous play where it looked like he was going to get sacked, and all of a sudden he he makes a touchdown pass. Um, But that was a huge win for them. I mean, with the Rams and the Cardinals, the Seahawks needed that win. That was a that was a huge swing game for both the Niners and the Seahawks. You know, if the Niners get to three and one, then you're like, okay. But now they're two and two, and Garoppolo's out for a little bit. We don't know how long. Meanwhile, if the Seahawks fell to one and three, looking up at the undefeated Cardinals, the three and one Rams, that wouldn't be real good either. So uh, to keep those teams in the mix or keep the Seahawks in the mix, they needed that win desperately. Who do you think is the best team in the NFL right now? Uh most complete, trust the most. I mean, you know, Chiefs are going to be in it till the end, but the defense is just a disaster. I have so many. Yeah, you know, right now. The, yeah. Yeah, right now, I would say Arizona and Buffalo. Now, I don't think it'll be Arizona and Buffalo in the Super Bowl, but I mean, the Bills are murdering teams. Yeah. Uh, you know, their offense is awesome. Their defense is much better with these young guys, Rousseau and Epinesa on the D-line getting after people. I know it was the Texans and Davis Mills, blah, blah, blah. 40 to nothing in an NFL game is really hard to do. Uh, And the Cardinals' win was very impressive. I guess I'm impressed by sort of the resiliency of the Cardinals. Even after that kick six against the Jags, and the Jags came out in the next drive, ran it right down their throat, Cardinals just kept playing. And they've won a bunch of games now by double digits. So I think right now, and that's not who I, I, I'll tell you right now, Lindsay, I don't think it'll be a Bills Cardinals Super Bowl. But right now, I'm going to say that those are the two best teams. You could go out on a limb and call your shot. I mean, this is your chance. You know what? You that's, would, you would that's be the greatness. one. You would be the I'm gonna, one. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to go do that on Twitter. As soon as we're done, I'm going to post on Twitter, calling it right now, Bills Cardinals Super Bowl. If it happens, yeah. I'm the genius of all time. Yep. If it doesn't, nobody will remember. Nobody. It's not like cold takes will dig that up. Like, whatever. <laughs> Everybody's making Super Bowl predictions. So many people are wrong. Whatever. Go for it. Can't lose. Ross Tucker, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Lindsay. And you can find Ross on Twitter at Ross Tucker NFL. His podcasts, including the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts, as is this one. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Pandora. It's also available on the SXM app. 
free for most subscribers. Just download it today and tap podcasts will pop up. I would love it if you would also rate and review the show, please. And most importantly, subscribe. For video clips of the show and more, follow me on Twitter, Lindsay underscore Rhodes. I'm also on Instagram, Lindsay Rhodes NFL. The NFL Roadshow is part of the SiriusXM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Andrew Emmer. Andy King is the director of sports podcasting for SiriusXM. And a special thanks to SiriusXM's senior vice president of sports programming and podcasting, Steve Cohen. See you again on Wednesday. Serious XM Podcasts.